And why did you decide to come to Thailand? I saw the, the movie The Hangover. <laughs> Welcome to Exciting Careers Podcast, where our job is to travel the world finding stories, habits, and tools to inspire you and your career. We don't need to be rich or famous to have an exciting career, but we do need to be making a difference in the world and to feel excited to wake up in the morning to go do whatever it is we're working on. This podcast is brought to you by MaxiCareerCoaching.com. And now your host, Mari Pimenta. So we're here in Chiang Mai. My friend Marcos Lucas, Brazilian. I'm really, really happy to be interviewing uh, a Brazilian digital nomad, successful guy who has more than one stream of business, actually. He's really successful. He has a business called Libertação Digital, which is digital freedom yes. in English. And um, he is also the person licensed um, for the book The Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DiMarco. Exactly. In Brazil. I want you to tell us that story. And he has more than 40,000 followers um, who participate in some of his online courses, right? Yes. And has lived in Japan, has lived in the Philippines, in Thailand, in Brazil, in the UK. What's next? That's a great question. <laughs> Thank you very much for inviting me here. I'm really excited to be giving this talk and just an informal chat to share about my story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm cool. so happy. It's Sunday morning, beautiful weather outside. We're getting ready to go to the pool party afterwards for the digital summit, Nomad Summit. Yeah, and people call you Mari, Mari right? Yeah. Mari's already wearing the bikini, all sexy today. <laughs> We're gonna rock it. <laughs> Yay. So, first of all, I'm so, so happy to be interviewing a Brazilian. I'm, it's so hard to find um, Brazilians who have made it um, as a digital nomad, right? It's like yes. I, I only know maybe three or four people that have made it, like who are already making money. I know a bunch of people who are trying to find ways of having the freedom that we have, but they haven't quite uh, got there yet. And so I'm really curious first to know your story, like from the beginning, like where were you born? Um, tell me a little bit about your background. You know, what made you decide to leave Brazil and start working like this? Cool. Yeah, but just before uh, I tell you about my story, I think it's really interesting because I haven't seen many Brazilians that are digital nomads. And even though now it's a trend in Brazil, having more people becoming them. However, if you see this trend came from the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And this book changed my life. But there's a lot of American people already doing that. And now in Brazil, it's becoming a trend that people that are not digital nomads, they're saying they are to get more exposure by the media. And that's really weird and show a little bit about our Brazilian culture that people are very opportunistic to, you know, just to go into the trends. But I've been doing that for six years already. And I'm having multiple income streams and I'm really focused on having more freedom. So I was born in a very small city in the south of Brazil. This city is called Cruz Alta. Nobody knows. <laughs> I've heard of Cruz Alta, I think. Is it near Porto Alegre? 
No, I think you heard about Santa Cruz. Oh, uh, okay, maybe. Maybe, yeah, because it's a very small city. There's no shopping malls, no cinemas, and I remember I was really young and I always wanted to travel. I had an English teacher, she was older, and she was talking about the Titanic, even before the movie. And I was like, wow, that's amazing that she knows so many stories. She was telling me about the Vietnamese War. And she was telling me all these stories about how cool the world was. And I started learning English since I was maybe 12 years old. And I really want to travel. And then I did my bachelor course in computer science in Brazil. Then I graduated. I went to Las Vegas once to publish a paper. And I didn't have much money, so I, I went to the head of the department to ask money to travel. That's cool. I, I, I'm a weird guy. Like I know we need to accomplish our dreams, and we gotta do like some, some bagging sometimes. And after that, I went to the Philippines for my first exchange program, and I was working for a cable TV company in the Philippines. Okay. And then I went to Japan to get my master's, and I did my master's in Waseda University. And that's more or less how it happened. And there was the economy collapse in 2008. I saw people getting fired, and everybody started freaking out, and I started freaking out as well. And I realized that, okay, my primary income stream was gone, and I need to have more income streams to be free. You're, in 2008, you were in Japan? Yes. I was working as a software engineer in Tokyo, mm -hmm. and it was really weird, you know, like I was working 10 hours, 12 hours a day in an office, and I was just watching my coworkers getting fired, and it felt horrible. So that's the reason why I decided to go back to Brazil, almost broke, to start my business from my bedroom. Interesting. From your bedroom? Yeah. You, your bedroom, and your computer. Yeah, and everybody thought it was crazy. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was weird. I used to wake up and go in front of the computer, and I had around a thousand dollars. But the Japanese government they give us back the money from the taxes that we pay in Japan. Okay. And I know like, the money was running out, and I had to buy food to eat. So I decided to start fishing, so I'd have fish to eat in case my money ran out. Right. And things got worse, I got embarrassed, I had to go back to live with my parents. Right. And they were kind of pushing me to get a job. And I said, okay, like if I get a job, they're going to pay me around 2,000 reais. That's now is around $500 a month. And they said, no, they're going to pay you more. So I applied for some jobs in Sao Paulo just to show them that I had a master's in Japan. I worked in Tokyo, so I was worth more than that. And the only proposition was four hundred dollars a month. Really? And then it validated. This, this was two thousand. Was two thousand and and nine. 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 Okay. So then you didn't get a job, and then you decided to keep trying to build my business. So how how did you start? Like, how? What what was the first thing you did? Okay. So that's something that I also teach on my my courses. It's how I started. That I believe. There's some stages, some steps that you need to follow. So the first one was, I had a friend of mine in Japan, and his name is Chris Kirkland. He has a website called artweb.com, mm -hmm. and he has a platform where artists can put their paintings, sculptures, and people can buy that from the website. And I thought it was a really cool business model, and he was 
incentivizing me to open my own or build my business and create online courses or whatever. And then I start realize, okay, what I have to offer the world that they might buy from me. So that's the first stage that I teach. It's to brainstorm ideas based on your background and your past experiences. Because maybe you have something valuable that you just don't know yet. And asking friends what I have to, to give back to people, one of them says, what, you don't, what, what if you create a course to help Brazilian people in Japan? And I was, okay, now you're narrowing down what's possible. So I decided to create a training course, a book. Uh, I wrote a book on how to get a scholarship to go to Japan. That was the same scholarship that I got to go to Japan. Which one was that? The Monbushi Scholarship. It's one of the best scholarships in the world. Okay. So I realized that I could survey people that were successful. So I, I surveyed 210 people that got the scholarship to understand their profile. So we compiled all this data into the book. So that was my first business. Okay, so you, what's the name of that book? We can find it on graduateinjapan.com. Graduateinjapan.com. Yeah, the name is Mombusho Research Scholarship Preparation Guide. <laughs> wow, how many pages? That one is, right, I think it's 120, around 120. How long did you take to write it? Well, I think it was around three months, four months. Really? That's yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, you were fast. Yeah, that time for me was not that fast because I needed money. <laughs> so yeah, I was working every day. Okay, you were focused doing just, just the writing. That. Yeah. Just that. And how did you publish it? Did you find somebody to publish it? Yeah, so I published online through ClickBank. ClickBank is a, a platform where you can sell your digital products and also you can find affiliates that might sell for you. So I decided before even writing the book, there's one concept. The first one, the first stage is having a brainstorm of, of stuff that you can sell. The second one is the business validation to know if people want to buy that. Because if not, you're going to spend six months writing something that nobody wants to buy and then you just lost all your time right. and energy. So after you understand what you want to do, the idea generation phase, I go to the second one that's to validate if people want to buy. So how can you do that? You can create a landing page. You write a landing page that's a sales letter about the book. Mm -hmm. so, and I was showing you we have chapter one that's introduction, chapter two, uh, three, how to go to the interview. So all the outline of the book was ready. Right. But it was not written yet. Right. Right? Right. So I had the whole concept of the product, but I didn't have the product. Mm -hmm. So I have the landing page with the price of the book. It was around $29 that we are selling right now. And I was bringing traffic to that page through ads, AdWord. Did you use Facebook ads or Google ads? Google ads. So when people used to click, go to my site, and I could see how many people was clicking on the buy now button, then we know the conversion rate. And when they click on the buy now button, we don't sell yet because we don't have a product. They used to go to a waiting list that would say, oh, the book is being written. If you really want to buy, put your information, your name, email, and the reason why you want to buy. So then we have a more realistic conversion rate. That's great that you did that. That was 2009 you said, right? Yeah. So you, this is something people are doing, learning today. And yeah. like, so you were seven years ago 
already doing this. Yeah. That's great. Had you already read the four hour work week when you did that? Because that's something yeah. that he teaches in the book, right? Exactly. Exactly. So now I have a much more elaborate way of validating the business. Because that one that Tim Ferriss already teaches is amazing. It's it's valid until now. But now when I'm gonna validate a business that I'm not sure yet, I also I get the lead, I get the email, but I also survey them. Because sometimes, for example, if you want to publish an app, uh, I don't know, like an app to find the best food for your dog, but you have no idea if people want to buy, right? So if, they, if you start getting the leads and you can survey them and say, okay, what, what are the other features you also want in the app that I think is valuable? And why do you want to, why, why don't you use this, this app? What kind of problem going to solve in your life? and what's going to help you out. So now we can find the passions, the, the pleasure and the pain to get a feedback loop to reinsert on your sales ladder and optimize the conversion. So I had a friend of mine, Matthew, he was saying like, oh, we want to build an app that's tender for business. So like, do you think people really want to buy that? It's like, yeah, I think so. But did you validate business? And you don't know the demographics. You need to find demographics. Maybe there are teenagers using the app and they don't want to do business in a coffee shop. Maybe they want to go to an amusement park, right? So doing this survey after you validate the business, get much more information, and this information can add to your product or you can create a different app or a different training course to serve that audience. Right. Yeah, so yeah. that's some, some of the stuff that we're affecting along you, the way. You, you make it tailor-made for that Exactly. exactly what they want. Yeah. 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 I was, I bought like um, Peter Levels from Nomad List. I'm a huge fan of that guy. He changed our lives, right? Yeah. Our us nomads. So he, he, I bought his book. I paid $30 for his book and it's not even written yet. And he sent me an email, like probably everybody, everybody that prepaid him asking what we want to read in the book. And my friend was like, you paid for this book that hasn't even been written? I said, yeah, the guy does amazing things. I'm sure the book's going to be amazing. So Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, in, in your case, you, you pre-order, so you didn't have the book yet. In this, the way I'm, I'm teaching the validation, you don't need to, to buy. You don't give the money because I think in Brazil it might be illegal, the, the pre-orders in Brazil. Oh, really? Yeah. So, but you can add them to a waiting list. So you know the conversion, you can also survey them before writing, mm -hmm. before launching your, your product. So which platform did you use to actually, why did you do it in Brazil? Why didn't you do it? Because I know you have different platforms for books, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the graduate in Japan is sold for more than 60 countries now and oh. it's in English. So I sell through ClickBank. Oh, ClickBank as well. Yeah. Okay. And in Brazil, there are other training courses that I have that I teach about this validation and how to perfect this. The, the validation and, and how to scale your business about growth hacking and all this stuff. Uh, that one we sell on hotmart.com.br. That's the Brazilian ClickBank. Mm. And now they're expanding. It's a really cool platform. And they started in 2010, 2011. And we have built the first membership site integrated with Hotmart from scratch. You did the first one ever? Yeah. yeah, because we didn't have membership sites before. 
and we didn't have the API interface before as well. So now the co-founder of Hotmart is one of my one of my good friends, and we share a lot of information about business. Really? Yeah. So that brings me before I forget to a question. Like, do you have your gurus? Because that's something I I teach my clients is to spend time, make a list of ten gurus. What I call gurus are people who they admire professionally, who probably he knows them, this person knows them. Not necessarily though, you can have a guru that you don't know yet, but yeah. you follow this person because you admire this person professionally. Um, and it would be great if this person also admired you professionally. And then if you need to do a career transition or if you need to launch a new idea, a new project, you always go and talk to these gurus because you want to hear what they have to say. A lot of times they open your uh, mind to different possibilities. So do you have a group of people that you that do that for you? I have a few people that I follow and I have a few friends that I also get feedbacks from. But uh, I don't like the word guru because it, it feels like something mystical, you know, that's inaccessible. For us, uh, I have a mentor. He is a multimillionaire, and he lives in Koh Samui. I cannot say his name because he didn't allow me to. Okay. But I can show you the picture. Can you say his nationality? He is British Australian. Uh -huh. And and he yeah, he's a very private guy. So like I, I trust him and uh, he trusts me as well. So that's why I cannot say his name. Uh -huh. But he's someone that I really look up to. He gave me a lot of strategies. Some of the strategies that I presented yesterday at the Digital Nomad Summit, like he taught me. And always when I can, I try to get feedbacks, but he's very busy. You know, sometimes it takes weeks to reply to my email. And how did you meet him? I met him in Lithuania. So you, did you live in Lithuania as well? There was a, a camp for entrepreneurs and we, around, 50 entrepreneurs around the world were selected. And this camp is promoted by sovereign man, Simon Black. And it's a really, really cool camp. So there was a bunch of multimillionaires teaching us on several areas. And my mentor now, the one that I, I consider my, really my mentor, he is a multimillionaire doing digital marketing, exclusively doing that. So not, not the guy that you mentioned before. Not Simon a Black. Different, a different... An, another one. Okay. One of the instructors that were in the camp. Okay. And when I met him, uh, I was so fascinated because it's exactly what I was doing, what he knows in a higher level. And I was asking him, like, okay, like, would you, what would it take you to mentor me? And he was like, oh, I don't do consulting. It sucks. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, one objection. How am I going to handle this objection? And I said, uh -huh. okay, but what if we... So I start to reduce the risk for him, you know, because it, it sucks to, to mentor someone and someone is bothering you all the time and you have a lot of stuff to do. So uh, I was telling him, okay, so what about if I go to live in the island and we meet every Friday after you work and we get, we get a beer for one hour and that's it. No commitments, you know, like zero risk for you. And he was like, no free beer. Yeah, and a free beer. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I don't know. And that day was my birthday, and we had a karaoke party. Okay. 
And I got drunk and I got emotional. <laughs> Uh-oh. I got really emotional because when you meet a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs that give you support and you're like, wow, you know, like my family don't get me, nobody around gets me, but this group of people, they, they understand. So especially when we're drunk, right? Yeah. Then they understand us really easily. <laughs> and, and there's like, they're all foreigners and they start singing happy birthday to me in Portuguese. And I was like, wow, that feels really good. Is that in Lithuania? Yeah. Okay. And then they asked me to give a speech, and I gave an emotional speech. And then I told my my mentor that he was not my mentor at the time. I said, "Okay, you know what? I don't care. I'm gonna go to Kosamui, and if you don't want to have a beer, I'm gonna stalk you." <laughs> <laughs> like you have no choice. Yeah. But you know what? Why do you, why don't don't ask people like, "Do you want to be my mentor?" Just assume they are yeah. and whatever you have to ask just ask yeah that's a great strategy yeah yeah i just wanted to prepare him to make sure okay i'm gonna go there and you gotta meet me yeah if not, because once be once they have once they say yes to a mentorship it's like a lot of responsibility i think in that yeah. person's mind so if you just don't ask if you look because the word mentor is strong right yeah it's a lot of responsibility uh so just you know, what I tell my clients is every two or three months, don't bug your mentor or guru, whatever we call it, too much. One email every three months or one phone call every three months, just with, with one specific question that you have or one specific decision that you want to make. Yeah. And one thing else that I try doing is every once in a while, send your progress because, you know, like, don't waste your mentor's time. Show what you're doing, right? Because they want action takers. So after I gave a TEDx talk in Brazil and I sent him the picture and was like almost crying right into him, like, well, thank you very much. Like, you inspired me so much for it. When did you do that? That was in 2014. Two years ago? Yeah. In where? Uh, UFBC. UFBC? Universidade Federal is in your city? No, it's in São Paulo. São Paulo. Okay, cool. They're going to kill me because they don't remember the name of the university. Oh, I'll, I'll, we'll put it on the notes. On the <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's been two years anyway. Yeah. But how did, you, how did you get to talk at TED? Tell me the story. Wow, you want to know all the secrets, huh? Yeah, of course. Me and everybody else who's going to listen to this. Yeah, so one thing that I, that I learned from the Sovereign, the Sovereign Academy, that's the camp that I went to in Lithuania. If you guys want to check it out, sovereignacademy.org. You're going to have um, the information there so you, you guys can apply. One thing that I learned was the power of storytelling and how to, to get, how to merge that into your image or to your brand. Because nobody won't, and also to get PR, because you won't get PR if you don't have a cool story, right? Right. So that's, after learning that, I realized I was more open to causes. And that's when I interviewed a blind girl and I realized that I should give her a chance. Yeah, I have one girl that she's blind, she speaks seven languages, and she told me that she wants to build one online business. And she told me, Mark, is I give Skype consulting 101, but what if I have a thousand clients? And I was like, wow, she's talking about business scalability. And that's amazing, right? Right. And she was blind. 
You know, it's like. And what, she what? speaks seven languages. Yeah, she never left Brazil. And that's amazing for me. You know, amazing. and I told her, okay, and she said, Marcus, like, I cannot find a job in Brazil. It's really hard. Nobody was giving her the chance. And I told her, okay, so now we're going to be translating, transcri transcribing my videos that I do online. So on my blog, she does the translations and transcriptions of my videos. And, and then I start getting this cause of, you know, and it's really easy to get a cause. It's someone that you're moved by, just, you can incorporate into your brand. And, right. And that's good because you get more PR, you, you share a message, you share a vision. Because if not, you're just an asshole making money <laughs> for yourself. Yeah, totally. Not, not all the time, most of the time. I like, and I really like uh, the presentation saying that, you know, like Elon Musk and the guy from Sir Richard Branson, they always have a cause behind all the companies, right? Right. Like tell, they, tell they like SpaceX. Like you gotta have some a meaning. It's not only a few dollars. It's not about the money, at all, right? They don't do it for the money. They do it for the yeah, the money for helps. the excitement of doing it. Yeah, the, the money helps escalating your message and giving you a cool lifestyle. But after that. No, like, yeah, another level. Mm -hmm. So, but how, how, so how did the girl um, connect with the TED talk? Because my question was, how did you, how did you manage to talk at TED? Yeah, so I went back to Brazil in 2014. Yeah, I think it was 14. And there was a, a Portuguese guy. I really like the guy. His name is Paulo Faustino. And he was inviting me to speak at this affiliate summit in Brazil. And he was bothering me for two years. But I never gave his speech to so many people in my life. So I didn't want to go. <laughs> you were afraid of speaking in public? Yeah, I still am today. You did a great job yesterday, by the way. Let's tell them, because we didn't tell them. Um, Marcos yesterday was a speaker at Nomad Summit here in Chiang Mai. Uh, which gathered more than 200 digital nomads. It yeah. was awesome. Your presentation was great. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. So now you have no problems anymore to, to talk in public. Yeah, I, that, uh, we, I rehearsed a lot before because it was the first time I gave this presentation for 200 people and my first language is Portuguese, not English. So I was really concerned about stuttering <laughs> Blanking out, pressing out in front of everybody. It was your first presentation in English? For that many people, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So one more milestone that you... Yeah, and that's the cool thing. When I was younger, when I was in high school, I couldn't, I couldn't read in public at all. I used to get really nervous and, you know, like when I was reading the lines, it was getting blurry and I couldn't keep going. Interesting. Yeah, I think like everybody, everything's about strategy and practicing. And that's one of the biggest lies that people tell us is that, you know, like you're, you're going to be natural in everything. That's bullshit. You got to practice and, and improve and perfect your skills. And mm -hmm. that's what I teach people and that's what has helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then you were talking about this guy, Paulo, that invi he invited you to talk to, to talk at TEDx. No, he wanted to go to an affiliate summit in Brazil to give a, a talk. Okay. And I was going back to Brazil. I said, okay, and please make it my, my presentation the last one on one of the days. There the, was three days. And that's strategic. Someone who wants to speak at an event always try to, to be one of the last ones. 
because the crowd is more warmed up and you're going to have more applause before more excited. That's okay. something that I realized today, yesterday. Because uh -huh. <laughs> mine, mine was the second and people were just warming up. So be the, the last one that you're going to have more impact. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I gave my presentation and I showed Moema Adlib, that's the blind girl that works for me on video. And people start giving a standing ovation. People start crying. I start crying. And people were just leaving the... The, the area crying and it was insane because most of this conference is just talking just talk about strategies and money and there's a lot of fake people as well people that say they make money but they don't really make that much money mm -hmm. so I, I was bringing the cause to the, to the to the presentation and one guy in the audience he knew one organizer one TEDx organizer and then he made the bridge. I had no clue who the guy is. Mm. And, he, and he told me, he sent me a message on, on Facebook. And he was like, Marcus, I just talked to a TEDx organizer. And maybe he's going to interview you to see if you fit the conference. And I was like, are you freaking serious? <laughs> That's bullshit, right? That's awesome. Yeah, then he interviewed me and I gave the TEDx talk. I went to TEDx here in Chiang Mai about two weeks ago. It was amazing. I actually interviewed um, Paradon which was this Thai guy who owns Northgate Jazz here in Chiang Mai. Have you been to Northgate Jazz? No? I have to take you there. It's amazing. He has a project um, called Plant a Tree Wherever You Are. So we should actually plant a tree here in Chiang Mai. What do you think? That would be cool. Yeah, plant a tree here. I asked the owner of Fun Space if I can do it here in... I asked the girl and she said that he wants to see a picture of the tree. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Okay, so that's a story. So you did TEDx, and then what was it that really made you leave Brazil? Like, what was the the final de decision? Like, this is the time for me to go. To, yeah, sometimes you, go back. You've been living abroad now. now for... For nine years. For nine years. Nine no, wait a second. Years. But the, the, when this happened, TEDx and everything... Uh, yeah, yeah, in total, if you think about the time that I was in Japan studying, I was taking an internship program in the Philippines, like the whole time is around nine years oh, right, okay. that I have lived. Oh, okay, not nine years ago. Okay, I got it. Because yeah. you lived in Japan, then you went back to Brazil, that's when you started mm -hmm. doing your, your... So what internship did you do in the Philippines? There was an uh, internship through Isaac. That's one organization that deals with exchanging students around the world. They're awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've worked with them. Yeah, so you did that for how long? That was five months and one month traveling. Did you like the Philippines? Oh, I love the Philippines. Like, it's one of my favorite countries to feel good about myself because people are so friendly. Really? And when I go, they say, Bapo. Like, oh, you're so cute. Oh. Thank you. And the places are beautiful, like Filipino people are just amazing. One of the most, the warmest people I met in my life. Where in the Philippines did you stay? I stayed in the south, a city called Cagayan de Oro. But then I, I traveled to Cebu, Palawan, Bohol. Which is your favorite Boracay. island? Is it Palawan or Boracay? Palawan. Palawan, yeah. I think it's just unreal what you see there. I was going to go for, for Christmas because I, I decided to stay here. I really want to go. So how do you compare Philippines and Thailand in terms of like digital nomad life? Yeah. In the Philippines, the infrastructure, and I'm sorry, Filipinos, if you're listening to that, 
but it, it kind of sucks. <laughs> really? Yeah, like internet, the 3G sucks, it's horrible, so we probably won't be able to work. If you have to upload videos, it's not going to help you at all. But yeah, if you want to network and find cool people, it's really easy in the Philippines. If you know people in Isaac, they are high-level entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. so they can get you to a, a TV, get PR for you. It's really, really cool. Are you still in, in contact with Isaac? Yeah, yeah, I have some, some friends there. Okay. Yeah, I went back there like three times after my internship, since I became a nomad. Right. Okay, so, okay, so then back to my question. What was that thing that made you then decide to leave Brazil this last time? Yeah, the, the last time I've been to Brazil was just to meet my family, you know, just to say hi. Because uh, one of the things that, after you start traveling, you see that, you know, there's so many places to see, there's so many people to meet. And I also start getting concerned about the economy. Because in 2008, there was the financial global crisis. And for me, it was horrible to see that. And I don't want to ever experience that again. So one of the reasons why I travel so much is to also see possibilities outside of Brazil. Mm -hmm. you know, the, but do you have the intention to go back? To live? Mm -hmm. no. 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 Yeah, me neither. It's the perfect country to go for a few months a year to see our clients, our family, our friends, yeah. and then leave, right? Yeah. Sad to say this, but I think it's actually cool that we're not in Brazil, but both of us, we're still trying to help our clients in Brazil. Yeah, we, we could just say no and just build stuff in English, right? Right. But, yeah, in, in Brazil, everything's harder. Like, bureaucracy is crazy, and uh, not the Swiss guys that are throwing it. Like, everything is, is harder in Brazil. The taxes are insane. Mm -hmm. So, for us to still do that means that we care a little bit. If not, we wouldn't do it. Right. Now... Um, let me ask you a question because I know there are many Brazilians who are going to listen to this and I'm sure they want these details. So, um, how much money did you need to make before you felt comfortable, like, I can survive with this online income that I have, I can go? Yeah, before, uh, I think you need to have two strategies. One is saving money in case of emergency. Right. And one is having the monthly income. And before I left, I made sure I had at least 50,000 reais, at least. So that's like $12,000, just so people know in dollars, yeah. right? Yeah, at least for emergency. If there's a problem, I need to go back to Brazil, I need to get a plane or a, there's a motorbike accident in Thailand, you know? Right. And also, like monthly, at that time, yeah, I'm thinking about that time, not now, because the Brazilian real is going crazy now. Right. But I would say make at least $2,000, $3,000 monthly. Yeah. Here in Thailand, people can live very well with $1,000, yeah, really right? Well. Like our, my rent here is $160. And I live in a great studio. It's a really cool place. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I, when people ask me, I'm like, look, if you're not going to be traveling, if you're not going to be drinking a lot of alcohol because that's expensive, you can survive here with less than $1,000, right? Yeah. I think you can. Yeah. Okay, so then you left Brazil, and why did you decide to come to Thailand? Yeah, I saw the, the movie, The Hangover. <laughs> <laughs> is, that the, is that the truth? 
and yeah. went to buy a monkey. <laughs> a tiger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it was was more because of, of the beaches. The the beaches, not the beaches. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Not the ladyboys. Yeah, and because it was cheap and was safe, I think for Brazilian people especially, like for us, safe. If you live, if you never lived outside of Brazil, you have no clue how unsafe Brazil is. Right? You, you yeah. cannot walk during the night after 10 p.m. Uh, you're gonna see all the houses they have those fences, really sharp fences. The cars they have those black windows so people don't see inside. It's insane. And I think people who never left Brazil, they don't realize how insane it is. Yeah. But once we see, and I lived in Japan for four years, you know, like if you lose your wallet, someone's going to give it to the police and you go to the police and you find it. Right. Right. They don't steal stuff. And that's why for me, living in Japan was such life changing to realize that my core values, they're more towards Japanese people and what they believe than Brazilian people. Right. And that was the moment of realization that I could connect more with the Japanese values that's really far away from Brazil than with Brazilian people itself. Mm. I'm not saying all Brazilian people. If you're listening to that, probably you're not in this in this, in this segment. Mm -hmm. But for example, in Japan, they really value education. And for me, and I was studying Waseda University, that's one of the best universities in Japan. And there was just I felt so cool when people ask, oh, so what do you do in Japan? Like, oh, I'm taking my master's. And the Japanese people are like, oh, so yeah, wow, amazing. Because they value education. If you go back to Brazil and say, like, oh, my master's from uh, University of Sao Paulo, nobody gives a shit. Right? right They're like, right. oh, yeah, oh, cool, oh, really cool. Yeah. And they're going to tap on your shoulder, that's it. Yeah. But in Japan, it's just different. And the technology and, you know, and, and being loyal, like those values, they're really connect and resonate. So you missed that, basically. Yeah. But no. So <clears throat> when you came to Thailand, you had you. What was the first time you realized you were a digital nomad? Like, because when I left Brazil, I had no idea this even existed. I just left Brazil on this mission to find a new country for me, and then because the visa would expire, I would just move on to somewhere else. That's cool. And you know, I remember I was in Turkey and I researched um, because I was afraid to go back to Spain. Because we get to stay three months at a time in Spain. So I was afraid to go back to Spain and them not letting me in. Because I had been out for like 10 days. And you have to stay three months out before you come back in. So I remember I went to Google and I put online entrepreneur where to go. Something like that. And then Nomad List wow. showed up. And that's where I saw Chiang Mai. And I really wanted to come and do a 10-day silence retreat. So that's why I came. So did you come because you knew this was a center for, for digital nomads or it was basically the film? No, uh, the film was a joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> you never know. You yeah. never know. Yeah, but, but the film also like made me more excited to come and see how crazy things are here. <laughs> and we had an, another TV program in Brazil. There was like two girls traveling the world and I saw one episode. They were in the beach in Thailand and, and like really made me want to come okay but yeah like I, I researched also the, the Tim Ferriss book and I researched it a little bit and they also said that Thailand was one of the best places to come okay so when I came here the first time since I didn't have any friends I decided to come through Isaac again mm -hmm. you can for, do that then for a volunteer work 
to plant trees in Bangkok. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, but at the end, they changed my job description and I quit, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it was, it was funny. We, they realized that I had more skill sets and they wanted me to be working with technology and not planting trees. And then I got tired because I could make way more money with my business than working for somebody else. Right. And I really I came to do the volunteer work to plant trees. Right, and they didn't let you? No. Oh. Yeah, so... No, one more reason for us to plant a tree here then. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, we need to. Yeah, so like when I came, I knew about digital nomads and I was ready to, to live as one. Uh, as a digital nomad, because I was saving money, I was having the monthly income, my business was growing. Right? There's a lot of metrics that you need to realize before coming. And now in Brazil, there's a lot of people that say, like, oh, we're digital nomads just to get PR. And they don't even have a monthly income. Right, a lot they, of they, people. They don't even have savings. Right. They don't even, a lot of them just took a passport maybe a few months ago just to travel somewhere and take a picture and say they're a digital nomad. Yeah. So I think everybody needs to be careful who they take advice from because you got to research the country that you go, the kind of visa that you have, if you need to get a visa prior to going to the country, uh, how are you going to, you know, like I have credit cards, prepaid cards, uh, and everything for emergency. If one doesn't work and one gets canceled, we have another one. And um, our banking system is a nightmare. It is. Oh, my God. I got one of my, one of my cards canceled because of some bullshit. And... It was a nightmare, so now I have two two credit cards from different companies. Not to mention, we have to pay 7% of EIFE tax yeah, yeah, on top of system. everything we spend here, right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. I think Americans pay 1%. Yeah, like Brazil is... I don't even want to say the word, but it's not good at all. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you're like me. I love Brazil. It's I love our people. I... I've lived in seven countries, you've lived in four or five already. Have you ever met people that are so easy to connect with as Brazilians? Yeah, Filipinos. Really? Yeah. They were also colonized by Spanish people and they're very friendly. But yeah, I, I miss Brazilians too. Like the, the way you meet a Brazilian and start like laughing, it's insane. When yeah. I go back, I laugh all the time. Myself. Yeah, you meet the person and then you're inviting the person the next day to go to barbecue in your house. That yeah. kind of thing does not happen in Spain, for example. The only reason I was invited to go to things in Spain was because I was friends with uh, uh, people who were living there for 10 years. And then like because I connected with them, they would include me. But yeah. other than that, you, they, they, won't, they won't invite you to go to their house yeah. if you're not friends for a long time. Yeah, in Japan, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't invite people. It's a very private place in the house. Uh huh. Yeah, but that's the thing. Yeah, we have different cultures have different values, right? And it's something that I really miss, like going to a barbecue with a lot of people and just enjoying. Real barbecue. Yeah, real barbecue. You guys <laughs> that are not Brazilian, you don't have real barbecue, okay? Yeah. My friends in the states yeah. did a barbecue once, and they were like, "Mari, how many hot, do how many hamburgers do you want?" I'm like, what? what? <laughs> Excuse me? Are you a hamburger? And I have to say how many I want previously? <laughs> yeah, really? Come on, Americans. You guys uh, step up the game on the barbecue. Yeah. Anyway, I want to know more about uh, your project. Because today, how much, like, you have the 
in English is Digital Freedom, Libertação Digital, you have the graduate in Japan.com, and you have the Millionaire Fast Lane um, representation in Brazil. Which of these three take more of your time? And which of these three actually um, are represent more of your income today? I have more projects that I sell on the back end, but the main one is the Libertação Digital Club, the Digital Entrepreneurship Club that we have in Brazil. Mm -hmm. That one is my main course and is my primary income right now. And that's the one that I put way more effort on creating the classes. And it's, it's about building online businesses, starting and that's the thing, like when I say building online businesses, I, I don't I don't say the the hype stuff that's going on. I say like it's a really honest because MJ DeMarco, the the, the one the, the author of the book, The Millionaire Fast Lane, he's also very honest. And I say it doesn't matter how long it takes, it matters the process. Right? If you don't have one skill if you if you get someone that already has a company or already have employees and want to build a business is way easier because they already have the mindset. But if you had get someone that never had a company before to turn into an entrepreneur, it takes a long time to understand that you're going to take more risks. You need to analyze the risks. You need to do investments. Like you need to buy templates or you need to buy a, a domain name, you know, a, host a website. You need to be able to reach out to people. Reach out to people. So the first module is all about mindset. Know, and getting everybody connected together to understand that we need to bring value to the world. What's value? Because people don't understand that. They just want to take stuff for them, especially in the Brazilian culture, that people want to get stuff for themselves. It's, it's, sometimes it's a bit felt selfish, the Brazilian culture. So remodeling the mindset and, and then we go to how to generate ideas for your business. We analyze what kind of skills do you have? What kind of past experiences that change your life? Uh, and also on analyze the market, what kind of products already are in different niches and how you can maybe change it, adapt it to your context or get different methodologies. And after that, we go to validating the business, see if people want to buy. And after, if they want to buy, how do we actually launch it? How do you create a training course? How do you go to get affiliates? How do you get more exposure? And maybe in the future, if they need to get PR, they might ask us on our live hangouts. We have monthly hangouts and they can ask any kind of questions. We have a forum where everybody's changing uh, strategies, telling about the struggles that they have so we can help them out. How and many people do you have active there at a time? Like right now, we, we just launched, like, and, and I didn't market them much because we, I'm still creating the, the content. But we have around 300 people there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And some come and go? You have a, a constant flow of people? Uh, we are selling a one-year subscription and we are upselling a lifetime subscription for that one. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, some people bought the one-year package and they're going to expire. And if they want to stay, they need to pay more. And do you do it live or do you record it? I record in my, my room. Okay. I have a whiteboard. And also screencast to show the details on, on the technical side. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and then you produce this material once the person starts paying you on a monthly basis? No, they pay a one-time payment. Or in Brazil, you can do a credit card for 12. Finance. Yeah, you can finance it uh, for one year. Or then after, they can upsell for a lifetime. Okay. Yeah.
So they pay it once and they can use it. And once they go in, they have access to everything or you just liberate? I I release the modules after a few weeks. Okay. For a few reasons. Uh, One reason is that if you give everything, some people might feel overwhelmed with so much information. Right. Some other people might enter the course with the idea of stealing content. Like downloading all your content and asking for the refund. Have you had a lot of problems with that? I had a few people doing that. Mm-hmm. And also, I want to make them interact with other members. So the first week we have, on day three, I send an email and they need to give a presentation and introduce themselves in the forum on video. So it's a challenge for a lot of people to do that. That's great. Because yes. you're already teaching them. Yeah. And, but for me, it's very strategic because I want to know them because in the future I might do business with them. So I can know their skill sets, what they can provide, what kind of expertise that they have. Because if they don't have the time to do their launch, maybe we can partner up and do a profit share. And I can do all the marketing strategies for them. Mm. Right? So it's good for me as well. And some of my students might become a business partner in the future. Right. Great. And all of them Brazilians. Yeah. But... Yeah, probably soon you're going to be creating in, in English as well. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, because we can not depend in reais. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our, our income went down to half yeah. a year ago, less than a year ago, because of our crisis, right? We make our money in reais and spend in dollars. Yeah. Yeah, my, my book, Ready to Japan, U.S. Dollars. But, yeah, yeah, I created the book six, seven years ago. And... The things that I lost the passion for teaching that, right? It has been so long. So yeah, I might translate my training course to English to mm-hmm. expand my business and expand my network as well. Right. So how many hours do you work per week? It depends on the week. Yeah, some weeks. Now, if I really have to work, because sometimes I don't have to work. Like we choose when to work, right? But I would say maybe. Maybe six, seven. I might work more if I want to. Six hours a day? No, the, the week. Six. It, it depends. Six hours a week? Yeah. It, wow. It, it, it depends. It depends why you consider work as well. Because like, the, what I really need to do now is creating the content, the premium content, and creating some campaigns for to get more customers. Right. So... Yeah, if I want, I can work six hours a week. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And what's your routine like? What time do you wake up? Do you exercise? Do you meditate? What's your, you know, like, do you eat healthy food or are you vegetarian? Tell me about this kind of thing. Yeah, so I stopped smoking uh, five months ago. And that, that was a huge accomplishment for me. And I, I probably wouldn't be able to stop smoking if it was not for the digital nomad lifestyle because I was able to talk to my customers and say, okay, I'm going to be offline for one or two weeks right? because it's really hard. You get stressed for anything. So, yeah, I told them, uh, I told my friends and people around me that I wouldn't work and I was committed to stop smoking. How did you do it? You went to a detox in Copangan? 
No. Uh, what kind of the tantra? <laughs> the tantric, a tantric detox? Yeah. No, I was actually talking about that 11-day detox that they have in Kopanga. I really mm -hmm. want to do that. It's yeah. a cleansing. Yeah, wow. so you clean everything. Yeah, I did a whole preparation before trying to stop smoking. First is understanding what the, how the nicotine addi uh, addiction, uh, abstinence, how do you call it? Abstinence. Abstinence is going to affect me over two weeks and one month. And, and how, what are going to be the improvements in my body? Because one thing is that people only focus on the improvements, but they don't realize they're going to be a hell of a time trying to just survive when you, you don't have nicotine. And it's really hard. You feel like crap. So preparing nicotine gums, if you guys want to stop smoking, a lot of nicotine gums if needed. And also to sleep, that's one of the hardest times for, for us to stop smoking is because we won't be able to sleep. So buy some sleeping pills. In my case, was melatonin to help you out. Okay. So uh, just pop a few pills. And even uh, on the fourth day is the worst day on the addiction because all the nicotine is out of your body and you freak out. So if you need to sleep during the day, just melatonin too. How many cigarettes were you smoking before? A pack a day. Wow. Do you, how do you feel now? I feel good, but I, I gained some weight. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm eating too much or too much protein. You're, you're looking good. Thank you. Yeah. Wow, I'm looking cute. <laughs> Let's see at the pool party, I'll tell you, wow. after you take your clothes off. Yeah, I'm gonna do some, <laughs> some bench pressing before. <laughs> no, but like, how do you feel any different in terms of work or sleep? Do you feel like now you sleep better, now you work better because you quit smoking? Or I, like, I was watching some interviews that I did before, and I can clearly see on the interviews that my breath was, was hard. And I was coughing a lot during the interviews as well. Mm -hmm. And I just realized now, I was watching like, holy shit, like that really was affecting me. And I didn't know. Because when you're a smoker, and uh, I'm not judging anyone, I know how hard it is. And, you know, like if you enjoy your smoke, just enjoy it, like whatever. But when I was a smoker, I could see clearly that, I couldn't see clearly that, you know, it was affecting me. I thought like, oh, it's normal, I'm going to stop when I'm 40s or 50s because it's helping me to be more productive. That's one thing that we think, that nicotine might help us be productive. So that's why I decided, I still take nicotine gums I have here, but at least I'm not inhaling the, all the pollution from, from the cigarette into right. my lungs. Right. And I feel much better. I, I'm going to the gym. I got stronger. A little bit fatter, but... That's okay. But cute. That's worth it. Yeah, you're still yeah. very sexy and cute. Y imagine like a, a, a fat Chinese baby. Like it's like me, you know. Oh, cute. come <laughs> on! You do not look, look like a fat Chinese baby. But they're cute. They are. <laughs> they are. I would love to adopt a, a Thai little girl. That would be my dream. To, I really want to adopt a Thai one day. And I keep looking at these Thai little girls. They are so cute. But they told me they will not ever adopt to a foreigner and to a single mom. Oh really? Yeah. Why? The, the 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 Thai government or whoever decides that I don't know. They don't 
Not, not even if you're Thai, if you're single, if you're not married, they will not adopt. I heard, I asked some Thai friends. So maybe I can get a Japanese one. Oh, from Cambodia, like Angelina Jolie. Yeah, totally. And I have a Japanese um, sister-in-law, and I have a Japanese, two Japanese nieces that are, I don't know if I told you that. No. Yeah, they have, um, they are, they were born in London. They, the dad is Brazilian, my cousin, the mom is Japanese, and now they live in the States. So they have four passports. Wow. I said, I told my cousin, don't leave them any money. You are giving them the best inheritance ever. Like, if I, my dad had given me four passports. That would be awesome. In our life right now, this is worth yeah, much more than a million dollars. We only have the Brazilian now, and our economy is not doing well. Yeah. So that's awesome. Now I, I really want to know to explore a little bit more of um, you have a whole program where you teach people how to be their own bosses, basically, right? Yeah. That's what you're teaching. Yeah. How to be your own boss. So from the people, you, and you've been doing this for how long? Six, seven years. Now. Six, seven years. And during these six, seven years, how many people do you know actually made it? Like, do you have any... That's a great question, because uh, I focus... Uh, it's kind of cliche to say that you focus on the process, but people have different... different... How do you say that in English? Like, cutting things with them. Each, um, each person has their own time. Yeah. And some, some people, they don't even want to be nomads. And then I realized later. But I had a, a lot of case studies. One is Kadu. He's, he's, he didn't implement, I would say, 60% of what I teach. Okay, Kadu's a friend of ours from Rio, um, who's a video videographer. He's also living here in Shanghai. Yeah, I think he implemented probably 30%. The mindset, the idea generation, and now he's doing and he, freelance. And he's doing great. Yeah. Imagine if he had implemented everything then. Yeah, and sometimes I get frustrated because I know people have potential, but they, and I'm really concerned that he might get into the rat race doing freelance jobs. Right. Okay? And so yeah, we have Kadu that he was in Australia, now he's here in Chiang Mai. And he used my strategies to sell his videography uh, services here in Chiang Mai and also in Australia. So a lot of stuff that I teach on my course, he used to implement in the real life, let's say, not the digital world. And, and it's an amazing story because Kadu comes from a, a very poor um, area in Rio and he's, he's here. Right? Yeah. Because I have a lot of friends in, in Brazil that keep asking me, like, they think they need to have a lot of money to be doing what we're doing, right? Yeah. And so that's awesome that you inspired him and more people. Yeah, I have uh, one of my clients, he has an academy for game production in Brazil, and he does a few six-figure launches. I had one of my customers, he's coming to Thailand in March, he showed me the ticket. And this guy is, I think he's 19 years old. Oh, wow. He, but, you know, like, that's the thing. There are a few really young entrepreneurs, and I wouldn't say they are average. They, they are really, really good. And this guy is Bruno Fraga. He has done a few really cool launches, and he's teaching uh, information safety for companies online. Look at that. Yeah, he was, like, a, kind of a, a good hacker, and he was teaching to prevent from being hacked. Uh -huh. uh, I had uh, one woman that went to my live event. She's uh, a bit older and 
she sells a physical product that is called it's a seed, aguaí seed, semente de aguaí. And she told me that after she did her introduction in video for us on our forum, she realized that she could start doing videos for improving, increasing her audience. I didn't teach them that. Right? She, she unblocked this power and said, wow, I can make videos now, so I'm going to do videos about this, this scene. And she tripled her profit on, on this business. By doing the video. Yeah, and I haven't taught them. So there's a lot of different results that I have no idea, like Cadu's results is something that I was not expecting, but they have. Mm -hmm. So, hey, it depends. I, I had uh, another girl, that, uh, Sylvia Pines, she's a mother, and she has a few courses that they were not online about design thinking, uh, marketing, and a, a bunch of other courses. And now she's one of my the most successful students that I have. She launched so many products online, online congresses and a bunch of other stuff. It motivates us so much to continue, right? Yeah, for me it's amazing. It's really, really cool. But the thing is, some people, and that's why it's not everybody going to be successful, because there's different skill sets that if you don't have a business, then you need to have the mindset, you need to understand the risks, you need to understand that you need to invest. And a lot of people, when they tell, tell me, Marcus, can I sell my business without investing a dollar? So like, what the hell are you talking about? How, how, you know, like maybe you can, but that's not the right mindset. You need to invest. If you, you, you were... Uh, like Mari, I think you guys know that she had this English um, how they school. Call it, school in Brazil, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for oh. 15 years. In, in a physical business, you need way more investment to start. Yeah. So, so now if you're going to start online, at least separate a few bucks so you can have a hosting service. Of course. Like I, just, I just, like I was telling you, I bought the, the webinar tool and I paid like $400. Um... You have to invest. Like yeah. all the profit that I make with my business, I'm reinvesting. Like I'm not investing everything in my business. Yeah, that's the thing. And a lot of people, there's still this small mindset. You know, like everything is stuff, and you should invest and hold on to your money. And but you, you know, like that money is gonna run out anyway. So you gotta eat, right? So you need to reinvest and scale and partnerships talk to people you know a lot of people they want to stay behind their computers like a little geek with the headphones working you know like you got to network you need to talk to people sometimes you might have to go to a conference or maybe you might even have to speak at a conference that for me was something really scary but I realized if I really want to have a, a great impact on society I need to be able to speak in public well right I, I, I didn't reach there yet but I'm trying my best to reach my goal no and it's amazing when we speak in public like how many things happen afterwards for us I don't know you but every public speech that I've given in my life uh, has created amazing impact I think it's there's this magnetic force also that when you give something with your heart to that audience it always comes back like 10 times multiplied by 10 in many ways, right? I, I, that's one thing that I teach my clients is to go anywhere, like go to a public school in your neighborhood and a volunteer to give talks to the kids about whatever, if soccer or 
whatever you study, whatever you like, whatever you read, just go and offer yourself as a volunteer because you start this movement and then ideas start coming for things that, you know. And, and I just realized that that one, this speech that I gave yesterday was for more than 200 people. And in Brazil, I gave two speeches for 400 people. One was this affiliate summit and the other one was in the FedEx talk. But that's the cool thing. A lot of stuff started happening. One is that you realize, whoa, I spoke for hundreds of people. Maybe next time I can give a speech for thousands of people. Like your, your mindset changes right away. Right. And another thing is that I hate networking one-on-one. You know, like I don't like going to the group, feel, you know, feeling awkward. Say like, oh, what do you do? Oh, really cool. And you spend so long to get to know someone. So in, when you're on stage, everybody that's there is going to know you. And who likes you or who connected with you or your story, they're going to find you later. So for networking, you're decreasing a huge gap on awkwardness and being asking a bunch of people, so what do you do? Oh, oh, cool, awesome. Even if we don't think it's awesome, but oh yeah, awesome, amazing. Right, totally. So if you had to recommend um, maybe two or three books for people who are starting to make that movement to go online and make money online, which books would, would it be? Would The 4-Hour Workweek probably, right, would yeah. be the first one? Really, by Tim Ferriss, for those who don't know. Yeah, I really like The Millionaire Fastlane by M.G. DeMarco. That's one of the reasons that it took me six months negotiating with him, plus eight months, actually, like the translation and reviewing and the layouts, because it really changed my life. Uh, I would recommend that one. And also, I would recommend The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Acker. Okay. That's just to empower your, your, your mindset. You know, like I'm from Brazil, I'm from a very small city, so that's why I like this stuff to empower yourself because we didn't have references back then. Right. You know, like my family, I'm not, I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs, so I had to learn from books. So that's how I started. Right. And um, any other suggestion that you have for people who are trying to make a career transition? Um, I have clients, for example, that are taking depression medication. They hate their jobs, and they just are so afraid to let go, you know, of this fake security that they have. Yeah. I tell them, just resign. You're gonna c come to Thailand or travel for a month, two, three months. You deserve it. You're not gonna die. And people are very afraid. So, what would you have like as a suggestion to inspire these people yeah. to take the yeah, I remember that before I was going to, to quit my job in Japan, I remember that my body was telling me a lot of stuff. I was going late to work. I, I think I was supposed to go to work at 8 in the morning, but I started going at 10 in the morning. I was out to self-sabotage myself. Mm -hmm. And like your body is telling you something, but then it comes like, are you going to have the guts to do something for yourself? And for me, I never, uh, I never wanted to see life pass by. I want to make stuff happen. And I think like everybody has potential. If you have an unbelievable potential that, potential that you know that you have, and it's up to you, I think you're not going to die. Like just see what, what are going to be the risks that you're going to be involved. If you could quit your job today, 
how many months can you survive and if you can survive, I don't know, four months and your income is going to be gone after that, you could get another job, maybe you could. So find possibilities and the more possibilities you find, the more you're going to be able to you know, be free of all the shit that's happening in your life. Right. I tell my clients, for example, you have, um, a lot of people in Brazil have um, bedrooms that are empty, like a TV bedroom or something. Airbnb, transform it into, you know, make some cash. Let's prepare for, for you leaving. Do a year of savings, renting that bedroom, um, for example. Yeah, right? well, one thing is, is getting rid of your stuff. Like, I have only two backpacks. And, you know, one day I got really pissed off because some people sent me some weird messages on Facebook. And there was this lady said sent a message, oh, like, could you donate me money because my husband lost his job. And I was looking at her pictures, they have a TV. I didn't freaking have a TV, like, just sell your stuff, right? The less stuff you own, the, for me, is the better, more free you're going to be because you won't have to worry about paying your car or paying... I don't know, your TV set that you don't really use or to see news that doesn't really give you much value. Right. So start getting rid of stuff, sell the stuff that you don't use. Every three months I see which shirts I don't use and I give away. I have my only jeans that, or these jeans that I'm wearing right now and yesterday I had a huge hole here. <laughs> <laughs> See, like below my balls. Oh my god! <laughs> During the presentation, you realized. You no, know, before the presentation, <laughs> I went to a lady that fixed for me. What was a huge hole? But is it true that you only have two bags? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually with one here, but I have two in my mom's apartment, and I have one in my friend's apartment in Barcelona, and one in my brother's apartment in Miami. Yeah. So I, I still need to reduce to half <laughs> to compete with you. Yeah, but it I feels have, great, doesn't it? Yeah, like to I have nothing. I like, have I have no bags at all. We fly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like people are like, oh, I want to get a cool car in Brazil to show to people that you know I, I'm successful. But they're paying the car in five years or ten years. That's crazy. Yeah. Imagine how stressed you are. Someone steals your car and you still gotta pay for four years. That's horrible. So like <laughs> I have no debt. I have savings. I can travel the world. No, I have time to do stuff that I, that I want to do. Yeah. No, life's good. Life is great. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the hard part for you of being a digital nomad? I think... Oh, let me think a little bit about this one. Relationships is one, right? It's so hard to have a relationship. Unless you find another digital nomad. But yeah. I don't know. But you, you, you can have fun with the wrong people. Until you find the right one, right? Yeah, so like just enjoy the, the moment, the process. I don't know, like I, I really like those moments such as now or like yesterday when you find like, like-minded people because you feel at home and you can be goofy and you can share like stories and knowledge. And, and that's what makes me happy, you know? But I think probably one of the worst things is, is the loneliness that you might feel if you're isolated. And now I'm in Bangkok, and I'm, I'm uh, in my stations that be far away. So like, why, why in the world do you prefer Bangkok than Chiang Mai? I don't understand you. Me neither. I don't understand. I left when it was, was the the smoky season here, and after I went to Bangkok, 
Yeah, I'm probably going to come back. So you want to stay in Thailand more? I want to travel. You know, like, uh, I, I want to... One of my dreams, I don't know why I'm sharing my dreams here. <laughs> you should. <laughs> that means you're comfortable. Uh, yeah, let's share the dreams. Like, one of my dreams is rent a bike and go traveling everywhere. That, that's one of the things that I want to do. Just have my bike and my backpack and just go. You can do that tomorrow if you want to, right? I want to do it with someone, though. I don't want to do it by myself. Like the movie, The Motorcycle Diaries. Right, and but you're going to be working while you do it? Yeah, but it's fun. Okay, let's do it. Let's get a group yeah. of, of digital nomads. That would be really, really cool. Let's try a project like that. Let's uh, put I the word out. Yeah. You want to do that? We can create like a Facebook page or something, like digital nomads on a bicycle. That would be cool. And see who, 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 who shows up. Yeah. We could do Santiago de Compostela. Start there. Because I have a friend who did it by bike, and he said it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my life goals. Okay. But, like, long term, where do you see yourself settling or you don't think about settling? Like, if I think about the long term, I think about having apartments in several countries. So, one, I can rent through Airbnb and I'm going to have a place to stay. But I have no clue if I'm going to settle in just one country not for me and people might think that's crazy but this idea came when I was dating a girl in Bangkok she's half Russian I hope she doesn't listen to me <laughs> oh, really I hope not. she's not gonna find this podcast oh you never know she's half Russian half Republican I'm not gonna say it. She, she's yeah. half something yeah. Half, yeah, yeah, yeah. half monkey half dog <laughs> and and, and this girl, like, she was so humble, but she was so rich, and she had no idea, because she was really humble. Her family, they do, they, they have this business with precious metals. Precious metals? Yeah, precious stones, you mean? Like, yeah, uh-huh. like diamonds and safaris, right. rubies, and they used to sell. They have a factory here in, in Thailand. And they have... A Thailand, Thailand is actually number one in the world for, yeah. for that, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm going to go to the Ruby conference in Bangkok next week. Cool. Actually, we have to hang out. Are you going to be there? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so, so in their family, like her family, they have uh, real estate. They have a house, I think, in, in Russia, one in the Latin America. Right. <laughs> the country that everyone said. Okay. And a house in Australia in one apartment in Bangkok. Right. And her apartment is insane. It's huge. The door, it's really, really tall. And there's an elephant on the door, and when you open, there's a, a jacuzzi in the room, and there's a swimming pool, and that's the, the 24, 24. Wow, 24. probably great view. So that what you're saying that there's a swimming pool outside in the balcony. It, it's like it's insane the place. And, and one thing that I learned from them is that you know, like her her mother was in Russia, and they used to talk to each other every day, but there was no neediness of, oh, you're not here, oh, you're bad, as it happens in Brazilian culture. They play the guilty card too much, at least on my family, they do that. You know, oh, you're going to leave us again? Oh, you're so bad for leaving us. So in this, that family, they didn't have that because, you know, just get a flight. 
Right. Has your family ever been here to visit you? No, I told my family that I would give them flight tickets to come, but they don't want to come. Mm -hmm. So, so when you see long-term goal is having apartments in different countries. Yeah. Which countries? I'm thinking probably the Philippines and Thailand first, and then okay. maybe other countries. Okay. Cool. So I think I'm. I'm talking more than you told me I could. Right. Just two more questions, right? Yeah. Okay, so... Ooh, uh, what's this question about the ladyboys in Thailand? <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about... Have you ever... Have you ever no, not, now you're going to have to tell me. Have you ever had that experience? No, no. No? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Be careful. Don't get drunk. Yeah, you can, you can get in trouble in Thailand. Yeah, I'm reducing the, the alcohol <laughs> intake. Okay, um, so I asked you before. Um, do you meditate? I used to to meditate before. Now I stopped. I should go back to. You should. Doing. Oh my God! It changed my life totally. Yeah. Meditations, amazing. So you haven't done any silence retreat? No. Oh my god! I'm scared about doing that. <laughs> wow, I would go crazy. I went crazy, but after you do it, you learn that it's almost like hard for me to say, but basically, I learned that the best place in the world is inside of me, and I get there with breathing. Wow! I don't need any drugs. I don't need any alcohol. I don't need anybody. It's inside. It, it took me five days to get it. The third day, I wanted to quit. The only reason I stayed in there was because I told all my friends on my Facebook that I was going to go and I was going to do it. Oh, yeah. So you got the, the oh shit moment. And I was like, I how am I going to explain to people that I left? And I was trying also to, I was doing this to inspire my clients, right, to start meditating. But it was a life-changing thing for me. I totally recommend you do it. It's a mind training. It's for seven days? Ten days. Wow, that, that would drive me crazy. I, I might think about it, but probably not. <laughs> probably not for me. Hey, okay. Well, anything that I forgot to ask you? Um, I'm not sure. I think I asked you for suggestions for the clients about your routine, career transitions. What's next? You didn't tell me. What, what country is next? Are you willing to stay here more, longer? Or? Uh, yeah, I have a one-year visa to stay here. But I really want to travel. I really, really want to. Because I've been here for too long. And I know too much and it's not exciting anymore. Let's go to Bali. One of my dreams is the Maldives. A bit expensive though. But I, I need to find a way of, of getting there. Just enjoy the nature. Okay. That would be cool. Swimming with the sharks? Yeah, with the sharks. Are the you not whales, afraid? The ladyboy. No, no, the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, because we, we have this joke here. Like, I know some people might find it offensive, but we were just joking around. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not offensive. They talk about it. They make jokes themselves. So, yeah, there's an invitation, and if you want to come to Bali, I'm going to check out Hubbard. Because yeah. we're actually in Pun Space right now. It's a co-working area here, and I'm totally researching about co-working because I want to do 
Oh, that's an important thing to mention. I'm inviting Marcus uh, to talk at a conference that I'm organizing um, in Brazil, probably for July 2016, for digital nomads, and he will probably participate virtually, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, okay. Great, so I want to thank you so much for coming here with me on a Sunday and for also helping me try to find my iPhone. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she lost a $1,000 iPhone. Yeah. And um, it was great. I'd love to know a little bit more about you. And I'm sure... Um, so if people want to know more about your, your, your project, they go to libertacao-digital.com.br. Yeah, yeah. For now, most of my products are in Portuguese. So, if you're Brazilian and want to check it out, Libertação Digital, sem acento, without cedilha.com. <laughs> and yeah, check me out there. I, I might translate my products in the future and also my videos that I post for free online. So, you guys can check it in the future. And it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. I think it was really cool to share with honesty and integrity. And thank you so much, so much guys for listening. Yeah, thank you, thank you. E pra galera do Brasil, eu vou fazer um... Cada entrevista no final, eu vou fazer um resuminho em português com os pontos mais, mais legais da entrevista. Pra galera que ainda não fala inglês. And the transcript. They're gonna have a transcript. Cool, so let's do the pool party. This podcast is brought to you by MaxiCareerCoaching.com, where you can download the transcript of this interview and subscribe to our free courses and newsletters. We'd love to hear from you and to know about your exciting career story. Be sure to tune in again for our next episode of Exciting Careers Podcast. <laughs>